Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 20 of World Cup 2018 is done. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about that as part of our podcast, coming to you daily from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Tony Miola, Fox Sports. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss. It is 3.35 a.m. here in Moscow. You had press conferences earlier. I had a Fox show to do, and so that's why we're doing this at 3.35 a.m. Moscow time. But there's lots to talk about. You were at England, Columbia, lots of drama this evening here at Moscow Spartak Stadium. England wins on penalties. Didn't think I'd say that any time in this tournament. Yeah, um... Eventful night. I'm uh, I'm completely shattered. Um, so we'll try to power through here. The sun is coming up. Uh, it, it was just an exhausted. Like it was just one of those games where even though you don't step foot on the field, it was just exhausting. It was a a long day. It was packed. Um, you know, every every square inch of that media center, of that press box, of that stadium was was jammed you know we were sitting a few rows behind Hamas Rodriguez you know people were jostling to try to get photos there were two or three fights to our left um <laughs> the game itself was just complete mayhem um and then of course you know you it's one of those deals where you know you've got you got half your story written and then uh Columbia scores a 93rd minute equalizer Jerry Mina um, yeah it's third goal of the tournament um, so, and then obviously, you know, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this watched, um, overtime was hit or miss. I mean, both teams had sort of structured, both coaches had structured their teams to get what they wanted out of the, out of the 90 minutes. So, um, you know, once, once, uh, the setups were a bit different, uh, the extra time was, um, Bit disjointed and, and and off we went to to penalties and yeah and and not only by the way I, I had a John Brooks moment with with Jordan Henderson like Jordan I I mean I said it to Stephen Goff we were sitting next to each other it's like absolutely certain Henderson was going to miss he just didn't look right um, but uh, certainly um, Pickford hadn't gotten close to any of them and so I I was equally sort of like I don't I don't know if this guy is going to make a save and then of course he makes a wonderful spectacular save. And uh, uh, Dyer does the Dyer does the does the rest, and they win. You know, we see these percent chance of winning graphics sometimes in in-game uh, apps and stuff these days. I wonder what the percentages of winning were for Colombia when they're leading after three rounds of penalties against England. <laughs> against England, <laughs> this team is just. Um, Again, I, I you know I said it like I covered their game against Panama and obviously a far different test, but but they are just um, you can't you can't get under their skin, you can't get inside their heads. Um, there was just a lot going on tonight, and I know a lot of people had opinions about Mark Geiger, a lot of people had opinions about Colombia. Um, you know, every, everyone had a take, but I'm just just being there. It, it was less it was less about. Um, shithousery or jackassery or bias or nonsense and it was just a really really gritty intense 
game and you just felt it in your in your bones and in your in your parts while you were sitting there watching um and uh england didn't create a ton either you know i mean i, right. I they they had a couple couple chances there was a header and i'm so tired i can't remember who it was um but uh you know, and Columbia didn't do much till the last seven, eight minutes or so um, when they, when they started to put some pressure on. Um, but yeah, Eng- England is just you, you can't you can't knock them off course. I mean, I I can't tell you how many writers and you know British reporters yesterday, you know, have you looked at the bracket? Come on, you've looked at the bracket, right? Like we've never had a better chance to make a final. And then Gareth Southgate would say something about focusing on on Colombia, and then like the next guy would be like. Okay, but seriously, you've looked at the bracket, right? You know, like it's just come on, man. You tell us about what you think of the bracket. Um, and and they they just they they've stuck with it. They've handled everything so well. Um, t- tonight's game was really really difficult. And and Southgate pointed out um, leading in that this is the youngest team still in the tournament, and um, they're they're handling this like veterans who haven't botched things in the past. You know, it shouldn't be a really new lesson, but. This whole idea, the World Cup is a young man's game, really does seem to be true. And this is not the first time we've talked about that. Uh, not the first time, first World Cup we've talked about that. But it's certainly a lesson, I think, that you see from Spain and Germany and elements of Argentina that sticking with guys too long isn't going to work. And except for, except for Cavani, man. Although maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll. Maybe he'll hit a wall, but yeah, no, a hundred percent. You're, I'm, I'm, I agree a hundred percent. You know, and so uh, I do want to say Harry Kane now is four of four on penalties in this tournament, which the more you take, the more people seem to try and uh, get information on your preferences, and he keeps changing things up. He keeps converting. Um, just a, a a very impressive individual and performance from him in this tournament he's got six goals now uh leading the golden boot race i think by two over cristiano ronaldo who is no longer in the tournament um and one of england sweden croatia or russia is going to be in the world cup final that's crazy it is yeah you know how would how would we uh how do we how would we power rank the uh Final eight at this point. I guess I'd still have, I still have Brazil and France one and two, and yeah, and then maybe maybe Croatia just based on their their route. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and based on how they played in the group stage, I thought they were the best team in the group stage. They were kind of punk against Denmark. Yeah. Um, but look, I, I think England's got to have a grind against Sweden, a Sweden team that people are starting to have a bit more perspective on as, oh, these guys kept the Netherlands out. These guys kept Italy out. They're pretty yeah, good. Southgate, Southgate, Southgate had glowing praise for them today. Uh, you know, just said, this is a team. This is a team. That, I mean, he used the phrase, this is a team that is always more than the sum of its parts. And of course, the, 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 the contrast is obvious, right? England has never been more than this. They are always less than the sum of their parts until maybe so far uh, the group that he has now. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and it would be interesting to see if, if England can become continue to, to grow into a team um, like that because Sweden has no stars. I mean, Sweden is a is the ultimate and sort of a, a you know one for all all for one sort of sort of workman like group. 
Um, so, uh, you know, this sort of team perhaps that Southgate is trying to model model England after. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, we have the eight quarterfinalists now, and I, I look at Uruguay, France as being a, a very appealing battle of contrasting styles. I hope that Cavani is healthy um, because I think you want teams to be at their you know, closest to full strength as possible. Um, I look at Brazil, Belgium, and I think that Brazil is the favorite now along with France and that um, Belgium needs to do a pretty hard rethink about their starting lineup for Brazil just because what happened against Japan giving up two goals uh, can't happen against Brazil if you hope to advance. And I just don't think... I don't know. I, I don't know how much you watched of that Belgium-Japan game. I, I think we talked about it last night, obviously. It it really seems to me like... I, I just don't see Axel Witzel as being maybe the best option there moving forward. And I'd like to see Moussa Dembele, but I'd also like to see more defending from Belgium. Um, I, I forget which... I forget the, the order of the games. I'm not going to a quarterfinal. I'm, I'm uh, for, for logistical reasons and travel reasons. You know, we're thinking, we were thinking of going maybe to... I think it was Kazan if Mexico won. Um, but, uh, yeah, I am not going to a quarterfinal. So my next game, actually, covering will be uh, the semifinal in St. Petersburg, um, which will be between the winner of the games we're talking about, Belgium, Brazil... France and Uruguay. So this is where this is a strange spot now in the tournament because we've just been going like at an insane pace now for three weeks, mm-hmm. and now there's the two rest days, um, and then I guess I'll I'll watch some quarterfinals on TV, and um, I don't know, send in send in topic suggestions for the podcast, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm tired, so uh, and the sun's coming up, and um, I, I'm I got nothing else. I'm a spent force at the moment. I got one more question for you about Mark Geiger. Um, Bring it. Oh, the, yeah, of course. Okay. The American referee um, who I put out a tweet tonight after all of the mayhem in this Columbia England game. Did you piss off Uruguay again, Grant? I did not piss off Uruguay tonight, uh, though I still am getting responses on Twitter. Um, <laughs> it, it really is funny, isn't it? Um Twitter. Um, I would say about Geiger, the question I put out was, do you think, genuine question here, do you think FIFA will reward Geiger for this performance? And of course on Twitter where nuance doesn't exist, people took that as me saying the Americans done awesome. And all of these non-Americans are saying this American sucks. And my point rather was, I feel it, like a lot of Americans think Geiger sucks. Uh, we see him in MLS all the time. Um, I, I think the question is, will FIFA reward him? Because he did. He has been rewarded so far in this tournament. Whether you think Geiger has done a good job or a bad job, FIFA likes what he's done. That's how he got this game, because people knew this was a big game. FIFA knew this was a big game, and they gave it to him. Now, I would have said that... In the group stage game, I'm trying to remember which one it was that he worked. He missed a penalty. He did, he did Germany, Korea, and he did 
oh, I don't remember the first one he did. Yeah, Damn. it was the first one. Um, that he missed a penalty. And yet he was rewarded. And then he was rewarded again with, I, you know, with this game, England, Columbia. And a lot of folks, I personally thought he lost control of this game. And then it becomes a question of, well, okay, if you say that, what should he have done? What, you know, what would have been better? And I don't think there was necessarily a sending off to be done, but there was a sense of he allowed uh, the game to sort of get chaotic. Correct? So, yeah, I mean, it's it, this is one of those things where if you're there, you're going to just have a different sense of the feel of a game, right? I'm not watching on TV. I don't get you, – you know you know how it is at the, in the press tribune at a, at a World Cup. You get – you get like two or three seconds of replays and that's it, right? Um, you're not getting the commentary. You're not getting Dr. Joe. You're, you know, it's so, so you're, you're sort of there in the raw watching the game and um, it didn't look like the headbutt wasn't even a real headbutt to me. I mean, I, I, I know everyone has a strong opinion, but to see seeing it live, seeing it quick, I, I understood why he didn't want to send someone off. I think... The impression I got sitting there was that he didn't want to send anyone off. He didn't want to be the story. And by trying not to be the story, he accidentally kind of became the story, right? Um, he did a ton of communicating. I'm sure anyone who was watching on TV must have seen this, right? He, I mean, there was so much jostling and tugging and shoving and just general jackassery on every single set piece and free kick and corner and stoppage. That, and he tried, it seemed to me, to, to get in guys' faces and to talk to them and to, and, and to communicate with them um, and try to sort of lay down the ground rules of what he was looking for. And, and I guess that didn't work, according to people. I guess that was the wrong tack. Maybe he should have started like you know three stooges slapping guys and 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 throwing out red cards and maybe we could have finished the game as like a five on five futsal game like i don't know what people wanted him to do but it seemed to me like he was trying to take control by communicating with the team the players instead of just like sending them to the showers and so like i said maybe his effort to not be the story kind of made him the story so you know Will FIFA reward him? I mean, it's like, like if let's say every referee in the in the round of sixteen has like the greatest game he's ever had in his career, eight of them are still going home, right? right? So, so you could have a good game and not necessarily get another one simply because of attrition and the reduced the, the just the the nature of the tournament. So, I don't know. Um, I guess I don't really care. Uh, I don't think he was the story tonight. I, I think England played better for the majority of the 120 minutes, and I, I think they deserve to move on based on that. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to think about Geiger again, to be honest. <laughs> he may come back. He um, may. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I just find it interesting how how many extreme responses – pro and con came in on Geiger, including one from Tim Cahill watching in New Jersey somewhere. Um, what did Tim Cahill have to say? 
he thought that Geiger actually had handled it pretty well. And then I have all, all, all these other people saying, this guy's the worst ever. He's out of his depth, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just find it like, I think anytime you get totally extreme opposite responses, then that means that's probably a legitimate question to have asked. Um, and so, you know, we'll find out if Geiger gets another assignment or not, whether FIFA's going to reward him. He did call a penalty on grappling in the box, which we haven't seen many referees do, which I think might actually increase his chances of getting a callback from FIFA because I think they sort of like it when refs have the guts to make that call. Peckerman, uh, Peckerman said something after the game. And again, it's, it's, it's via translation. My, my Spanish isn't good enough to kind of get nuances. And, and so I was doing my best to listen to him and to the translator and try to, try to match the two together. Um, but he, he said sort of, you know, we expect, we knew, we knew this game was going to be this way. And, and, you know, an English reporter actually said to him, like, you know, there are a lot of people from England right now, you know, based on comments who are really upset with your team, They're upset with Colombia and the way Colombia handled the game and some of the gamesmanship and some of the, 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 the grabbing and the arguing and, and stuff. And, and so, you know, Geiger didn't come up as much as sort of like questions about the two teams' approach and Colombia's approach. Um, Gareth Southgate mentioned it as well after the game. And, and Peckerman said, you know, this is the way football is, and it's a shame. It distracts from the game. We expected the game to be this way. You know, there were the way he said it, you know, there were players trying to get calls, players trying to, to, to you know, operate on different levels and, 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 you know, make plays about more than just the football and why can't we get back to the football and make it about the football so he was talking about like an overall environment and approach, and it, I mean it, it's clear he wasn't happy with Geiger. But then again, as obviously a lot of people seem to believe, he's also lucky he wasn't playing, you know, with with ten men for the vast right. majority of the game. So um, both teams had calls that went for him and against him, and and it's probably one of those things that evened out. And like I said, people can have opinions about whether Geiger had control or lost control or tried to keep control the wrong way. But sometimes players just don't want to be controlled. Sometimes players are just going to like act like like kindergartners, and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, I do so. love the term shithousery, by the way. And, and as you know, I don't swear too often on this show, but it's a great word. Um, my favorite moment of shithousery tonight was when that interminable like five minute period between the call of the penalty yes and yes, the actual we were, taking, watching, we were sitting there clocking it yeah it was crazy <laughs> and the actual taking of the penalty when the camera caught a colombian player sort of looking away but also like trying to deface the penalty spot with his foot <laughs> yes yes <laughs> someone i i mean we were on the other end of the field the the media part the part of the media seating where i was <laughs> it was actually it was cool because it was on the end of the field where they, were, where they did the penalties, but it was on the opposite end of the field from Kane's penalty. And someone down the row a little bit noticed that and said, "Yeah, they were they were trying to mess with the uh, mess with the penalty spot." We kind of all had a laugh. It, it was it was kind of interesting and, and and weird and 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 it was strange that Hamas and a couple there were, there was another player who I I not sure that I recognized. And a couple of team officials that were sitting right in the front row of the stands. I mean, I could have, you know, I could have hit him with a beer, you know, for where I was staying, you know, for where I was sitting. I mean, he was he was really close. 
and and he was you know he was watching his team in a in a in a, in a World Cup second round game and and just the emotions and and then at at uh, after the ninety minutes he actually walked onto the field and and you know sort of climbed down from out of the stands and walked down on the field and came back but that was just like an interesting wrinkle to sort of. I mean, you expect him to be. If he's not on the bench, if he's not in uniform, you expect him to be in a suite or, mm-hmm. I don't know, not not sitting, you know, ten feet in front of you. Um, so that was really kind of an odd thing that I hadn't experienced at a World Cup game before. Yeah. Well, all right, man. It's almost four a.m. Moscow time, so I think yeah. You let's and I, seriously go to bed. And this you is and crazy. I should probably I call sleep. it a night, but uh, let's do it again tomorrow. All right, dude. Um, I will. Uh, yeah, I'll talk to you then. Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Tony Miola. So let's bring in our interview guest for the day. He's Tony Miola of Fox Sports, former U.S. men's national team and MLS legend. Tony, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure, man. I'm glad I had the time to get here and do it. (laughs) (laughs) We're here uh, at the Fox lot. Uh, You've probably seen it from Red Square. Uh, We're going to be doing the World Cup Tonight show tonight. But obviously, Tony, you've been all over this country calling games. And congratulations just on a terrific job. I've watched every game in this tournament and really enjoyed listening to you. Yeah, you know what? It's a, a huge thrill for me. Clearly, I'm the you know one of the rookies here and um, kind of figuring it out. And they paired me up with a guy that in JP Della Camera that if you're going to learn from anybody in this business, um, it's him. So for oh I don't know close to a year uh, prior to that, I'd been working games with JP, and I think it kind of developed into hey we think these guys work well together and, and can work well together. Um, and through that, like anything else, this isn't the business that I thought I would be in. It's not, you never know what you're going to be in uh, once you're done playing. Um, and I just kept learning and learning and, and working with him and asking questions. And he's been great. Um, so I can't imagine that there, for me personally, there's anyone better that if I'm going to do this for the first time, um, that I could do it with. And then, of course, we've had some good games along yeah. the way, right? We we started with the opener, and no one knew what was going to happen with Russia. Right. Um, and, and they, you know, laid a whooping on Saudi Arabia. And kind of for us at Fox, and, and you included, and, and everyone, that kind of kicked the tournament off for us, right? Because yeah. if you don't, if they get a bad result in that one, maybe we would have gotten more sleep in our hotel. <laughs> but that's really the difference. And, and then it just... You know, the tournament, I know we'll get into it, but, man, is it spoken for itself. It's just yeah. been incredible. Yeah, craziest World Cup I've ever covered. Um, and before we get into some specifics on your thoughts on games and teams, um, I was just curious to ask, I know you host uh, a show, a two-hour show on Sirius XM very frequently at this point, and I'm wondering, now that you've done that for quite a while, has that had an impact on you as a broadcaster? Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's it's like anything else, reps, reps, reps. And I don't know, th- th- this is still all uncomfortable to me. It really is. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not in my comfort zone. But the best advice I got, I've gotten from everyone, from David Neal to my agent four and a half years ago, just be yourself, yeah. you know. And, and it sounds like a really easy thing to do. Like, just tell someone to be themselves. And then all of a sudden, the camera goes on. you got producers talking to you. And, and in this case, we're in a stadium, and it's loud, and you can't hear anything. And you got a million things going through your mind. Meanwhile, you've just studied for six months, 18, 19 different teams. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so, excuse me. So, you you got a lot of things running through your mind. So, 
because that's not how I grew up, it's hard for me to be myself. It's hard. Um, I still feel most comfortable when I have grass under my feet. That's yeah. that's my comfort zone. Everyone has it. But I, I do think that I've learned a lot along the way, and I think that's important. The radio, um, because you're asking questions on the radio all the time or you're taking questions all the time and you're answering, I think what it, what it helped me do was think critically. Yeah. Um, so when I'm watching a game, I'm watching it different because that, even while I'm broadcasting, I'm constantly asking myself, what's happening here? Um, what can happen here? What's happened that didn't go right? What's happened that's gone wrong? So I'm constantly asking myself in my head, you know, these questions. So maybe I can come up with something to give the viewer, you know, something else to look at that maybe they wouldn't have looked at before. And that's so a the, hugely different skill than playing the game. Oh, yeah. I, I said to JP, um, I don't know, about halfway through this thing, I look we were in an airport, you know, we're we're in, in economy class. We're like a hundredth in line. I'm like, I turn to JP. Go, man, JP. It was so much easier being a player. <laughs> like you, you walk in and you get on the plane and that's it. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's completely different because for me, playing like most athletes is just instinctive. You know, right. I didn't really think. My my father. It's, it's a funny saying I use all the time with my kids now, but. When I was when I would come home from a game, you know, my dad played a little bit in Italy before he had to move to America, but just loved the game, gave me the love of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd come, we'd come after a game. He'd say, "Well, what happened on this play?" And I said, "Well, you know, the guy went over here, and I thought that he goes stop. He goes, don't think you're not equipped. That's what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> this is saying, and I use it with my kids all the time. Don't think you're not equipped. And you know, it's a simple kind of dumb little saying, right. but when you think about it, athletes don't really think." They just do, you know, and and for me, like this is thinking all the time. I'm thinking, thinking, thinking. I am getting a little bit more comfortable with it, but if I'm being honest with you, it's it's not the most comfortable thing for me. Interesting. Um, So let's talk about the tournament. We're recording this right before Columbia England. It's going to come out right after Columbia England, so we don't know what's going to happen in that game yet. But as of now, there are nine teams left in this tournament and some teams that we expected to be here that are not here uh, of the quarterfinals that we've got set up here, uh, what goes in your mind when you see those matchups? Well, what I what I see is a bunch of different styles of play, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can go right down the list. France, who just kind of exploded, and we know what Mbappe did. We did that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw a star being being created in front of your eyes. The potential, you know, we, we for 10 years it's been Ronaldo and Messi as Ballon d'Or winners. This guy could be another guy that someday takes three in a row. Yeah. You know, takes three out of five years maybe. Right. One of those types of players. Um, and they have a style, which, which was um, – I think when we looked at France, we were all just trying to figure out when they were going to put it together. So many great individuals and couldn't put it together and, until recently. Uruguay, the history of Uruguay, they win 2-1, but they're a one nothing team, right? They're right. really, really comfortable. They're still a 4-4-2 team and 4-2-3-1, but very, very conventional in the way they do things. Uh, Oscar Tavares has been there for, I think, 16 years That's now. Amazing. Um, and he And they still believe in him. Where does that happen anywhere? Um, so he's like an institution there, and they love doing it the way that they do. Spain, you know, we saw Russia. Russia, if we had a bunker team this tournament, it was that game. It was that yeah. team. They needed to because what happened against Uruguay um, in the third game for Russia, it was the best team they played. 
They tried to play, and it didn't work. Yeah. So we saw another style there. Uh, Croatia-Denmark, that was a, just a classic uh, of two teams that are very, very um, – th- that were very good on the night. Goalkeeping was outstanding. Which that was a goalkeeper's night. Yeah, Subasic it was so much – Yeah, they were great. Subasic, you know, all the talk is Schmeichel because he saved the penalty kick, and it, and it was um, Luka Modric, my favorite player, uh, one of my two favorite players in the world. It's Iniesta and Modric are huh. my two favorite players. They've been for years. Um and it was a matter of one penalty kick save and that made the difference in that. Just a classic. Mexico was the other story, you know. They tried to play against Brazil and credit them, as did um, as did in the night game Japan, which was a thriller of a game. Something we hadn't seen, I think, since 1970, right? A team come from 2-0 down to win. But those were all four teams yesterday that tried to play. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't hold back. And, and credit to Japan, what got them to 2-0 was probably what got them to lose 3-2 right. in the end. So what I've seen is all different styles. Today we kind of knew what we were going to get this afternoon from Sweden and Switzerland. It's two teams that don't change the way they play. I, it, when the U.S. didn't make it, the other team I was rooting for obviously was Italy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and everyone said, oh, we lost to a really poor Sweden team. I said, no. The one thing about Sweden and the toughest thing for a team, um, and you know you've covered it forever, teams that don't have identities, right? Teams that don't know who they are. Right. Some have good players, but they don't know who they are. Sweden knows who they are, right? And, and it's something that we'll, we'll talk about tonight on World Cup Tonight. Um, they know their bread and butter is, is defending in packs in a zone and, and getting out of the break and free kicks and all of those things. So, you know, everyone has to have that identity at this point. But I, I got to tell you, I, I like to think since 1982, I've watched every World Cup game. Mm-hmm. I've seen every World Cup goal. Um, I can't remember a better World Cup than this one. Right. Um, I really can't. You. Yeah. I mean, and also to Sweden, I feel like this is a team that kept not just Italy out, but also the Netherlands out in the group. Yeah. In UEFA qualifying. And that reminds me a little bit of what when we've seen good U.S. teams that identity wise that hard to play against defend well maybe have one guy who might be a little special creatively um but isn't going to overwhelm you with necessarily entertaining play but gets it right well then you know and that would be the other thing this this is a team competition right you got to be a group brazil's a pretty tight group and they're really well balanced belgium has a superstar or two in in their team um and, and but they're really well balanced all mm. around the f- field. Uh, so when you look at it, it's really Messi trying to do it by himself, Ronaldo trying, to, and not that they're trying to do it by themselves. The teams are so dependent on one guy; it just hasn't worked. Um, mm. Spain, I thought, was a little bit different. They just ran into a team that I thought they played well. They put over a thousand passes together. It never happened in a in a World Cup game. Um, they just ran into a brick wall. They couldn't figure out a way against a team that was playing for penalty kicks. I was disappointed with Spain, and you and I both had Spain winning this tournament. Um, I was disappointed with their lack of movement. There was a lot of passing. There wasn't a lot of moving. I was disappointed with just a little bit of lack of imagination to really try and, and penetrate and to work with Diego Costa up top and get him touches on the ball. It just didn't happen very often. There weren't that many chances. There really were. For Spain. They're, they're, you're right, and there were so. I, I thought at some point Spain was just gonna wasn't going to press. They were gonna let Russia come. 
Mm-hmm. Let them have the ball and come at some point to open up space behind. Yeah. Because all it was, it look, any any player will tell you and any coach will tell you, you do that drill almost every – you do it twice a week in, in training mm-hmm. where you've got, a, you've got six or eight defenders that are really at the top of the box and you've got – you put, you know, ten attacking players and rarely do you score a goal. It's amazing to me. You rarely score a goal. It's about moving. A lot of times it's about defensive work, but oftentimes it's about you work on the attack. One one day you work on the attacking side, one day the defending side, and rarely do you get goals. And that's what it looked like the other night to me where there was just no space to go. Um, there, there weren't shots from distance where maybe you pull a team out a little bit. Right. Maybe they got to come. Um, there was none of that. you know. And Spain is not a team – they really haven't been because they've been so sort of beautiful to watch. They're not a team that lives and dies by restarts, you know, bump, pumping a ball in a box sure. and getting knocks. Not really their way of doing it. So, yeah, I w- I'm with you. I was a little bit disappointed with a lack of imagination. I don't think there was any lack of emotion because you saw the reaction after. They just had no answers in the yeah. game. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I, I do think it was interesting to me, whereas – Iero, the Spanish coach who just came in right before the tournament, didn't seem to have a plan B, at least a, a real change that he threw out. It seemed very conservative. Even the idea of having Busquets and Koke in the yeah, central midfield. Yeah, that was midfield. a surprise. Um, but also, when you compare that to Roberto Martinez in Belgium and what he did when they went down to nothing, and now he was forced into this, obviously, but there really was a plan B that was very different to bring on Fellaini, to bring on Chadley. And uh, it's it worked, you know. And, yeah. and you can certainly criticize Martinez for maybe not getting it right with the starting lineup. But I think some coaches, including Yero, don't ever really acknowledge until it's too late that they got yeah. it wrong. Yeah, there's 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 I say no problem. There's a slight problem when you get the starting lineup wrong in a World Cup. Sure. But there's a bigger problem, as you mentioned, when you don't make the change, right? And it was clear there are two things stuck out to me in last night's game. I, I tried to, to to bring them up. Uh, Belgium defensively had no answers for wide play. Mm-hmm. Their three center backs stayed stayed connected really tight, and so Japan found all their success, you know, in those wide areas. Um, and then on the other side, Belgium was getting a lot of crosses in the box, but only one player, and Lukaku by himself was causing that group problems. Right now, you add Fellaini into the mix. Now it's a whole different story. Right. And when he went in, I, I the first thing I said, well, he'll go in. Um, he didn't take out. Uh, I thought. So I thought he took out Dre's Mertens, right. and I thought, okay, that would move Kevin De Bruyne up, and he would sit deeper. But no, he went for it. He 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 kept. He figured out that okay, we're getting balls in the box. Fellaini's the kind of guy, and then Nasser Chadley just changed the game on the left hand side of the field, which they weren't getting from Carrasco. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a masterstroke, right, by Martinez, because you get judged as a manager on the changes that you make. We'll see if he makes those masterstroke changes before the 90 minutes starts against Brazil. I feel like he can't afford to get behind against yeah, different this team, team Brazil. Yeah. And I, I do wonder if that means that we might see a Musa Dembele, if we might see Fellaini from the start and maybe not uh, Carrasco, for instance. But if, they, if they're going to make those changes, they're going to have to make a total formation change. And it hasn't been. They've been a three, they've been you know? three in the back, that 3-4-2-1 that we saw with Chelsea when they won under Conte the championship. We've seen it at Juventus. Um, I, I don't know at this point. Keep in mind, he's, uh, I think, 23 games now. He hasn't lost in 23. The only game he's lost was the first game that he was manager in when he mm-hmm. got to Belgium. And 
it's hard to change regardless of who you play. It's not like they've been playing, you know, schleps right. over the last 24 games, you know. So, yeah, it, it, but the wide area, he's got to figure that part out for me because, you know, Brazil, if, if Marcelo does come back, um, you know, Fogner, who knows who's going to play on the right-hand side. But anyway, they'll have space to play. It's it'll be difficult for them. It's pretty amazing how deep Brazil is at the fullback position. So they lost Donny Alves, then they lost Danilo right back. Yeah, and Fogner's been fine. He's been solid. Yeah. and then he's obviously he's a lot faster than I thought. I, I, yeah, I, I can't say I've seen a lot of him over the years, yeah. but man, he's a lot faster than I thought. We we watched him live, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we we did the uh, Brazil Serbia game. Mm-hmm. And just watching him live, his first step was explosive. And I, the first two times he ran, I was like, "Man, I didn't, I didn't know that was in his his bag." You know, right. but it is. Yeah, you, know, you realize why he made this team, even yeah. if it was sort of a surprise that he made the twenty-three. And then obviously Marcelo goes out, and Felipe Luis is not Marcelo, but he's been fine, I think. Yeah, and, and you know he's he does it in a little bit different way. But yeah. keep in mind how many goals he scored this year at the club level, and how many important goals. Getting on the end, he actually scored like six goals. Inside the six-yard box this uh, year, from that same exact position, yeah. interpreted the same way that they play it, right? Uh, uh, so it's not like a guy doesn't like to get forward, yeah. You know, so he does, but but he's he's not Marcelo on the attacking side. He also, you you give something, you know. I don't know if you give it up because I think Marcelo's a, a good one v one defender. He's just not always there to defend one v one, right? He's because he's he's venturing so far forward that you would think, okay. But, uh, you know, Luis gives you something different um, tactically. But, yeah, they, they are deep. Um, they're so good in the midfield. I think Casemiro is just a perfect complement for them. If they don't make him go sideline to sideline. You know, if he can defend in between the box, yeah. you, know, you know, the width of the box, 44 yards, it's a little bit easier than going sideline to sideline. But, man, they lull you into – they keep the ball and they lull you into like, holy cow – um, you know, we're just throwing everybody forward, and yeah. then the space opens up. If you remember the Serbia game out of the, at halftime, Serbia took it to them for yeah, 20 minutes, and they, they looked really good, and that was their time to get the goal, and then they don't get it, and they end yeah. up losing. So just to wrap up here, uh, if you had to make a pick now, who would it be? I, I'd have to go, now that Spain is out, I'd have to go Brazil right now because yeah. of how deep they are. Um, but a little bit nervous. I, w- I probably had Belgium cruised a little bit more last night. I probably would have said, you know what, they have a real chance. And they do have a chance. I mean, yeah. everyone here is, you know, this is not the World Cup to bet on, by the way. <laughs> if you're a betting man, then forget it. But I probably would have said uh, Belgium. And then the other, I don't know if they're a sleeper or not, but can Croatia play two bad games in a row? Like that, a bad game, yeah. right? And can they go two in a row that are, are that are poor? Um, and I shouldn't say. I mean, Denmark didn't make it easy on them, right. right? It's you have to give credit to the other team, but they're a pretty talented team. I mean, what they, how they ripped apart Argentina in that second half? They could be a sleeper. Uh, Want to wrap up with Troy Aikman tweeted yesterday <laughs> at you, which is a, a, a nice shout out. I think people have been commenting for a while that they think you guys sound exactly alike. Have you thought about that at all? Well, I, I thought, you know, you, to yourself, your voice sounds awful, right? You just, <laughs> exactly. Anyone who listens to themselves. But I, I'd hear, I heard this really from the first night. I didn't know where it came from. Um, and then it just kind of picked up steam. And it's been like, I don't know, over a thousand tweets now um, <laughs> on that we sound alike. And I didn't, I was waiting to tweet at Troy Aikman. I was, what I tweeted at him last night, nice to meet you, sorry, <laughs> was what I wanted to tweet. Then after the game, our, our stack guy, uh, Jake Wisniewski, said, hey, Troy Aikman just tweeted about you. And uh, 
So I guess we're going to try and do something together. I, I just, I just nice. said, look, uh, I just hope he's not annoyed by the fact. It seems like he's watched the games and all that stuff. So it's pretty cool, I guess. Good stuff. Well, Tony Miola, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Tony Miola, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do, and we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast. Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.